John chapter 3. This morning, we will be covering uh, verse 16 to 21, finishing up uh, one of the most significant conversations Jesus has had with someone, with Nicodemus. Uh, last week, we just got to enjoy John 3.16 and just got to bask and marinate in the love of God together. And um, I'm just going to include that verse for context's sake. This is kind of how Jesus finishes up the conversation. So we'll read verse 16 all the way down to 21 together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's God's word. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that right now we get to just be still and sit at your feet like Mary did. Lord, we thank you for all the good things going on in this church and all the um, many things we know are going on in all of our lives. But Lord, I ask that right now your spirit would just kind of settle us and hover over us and Uh, Make us still that we would look to you, Jesus, and to your word, and that you would speak to us. You'd speak your living, powerful word to us, God. Uh, Truly, we are not gathered here to hear um, any man or woman's opinions, um, but we are here to hear the God-breathed truth. As you say in Psalm 119, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Lord, would we believe, give us faith that this is no mere human book, but that you spoke, Holy Spirit, through people to give us your word that's living and active and powerful. So just prepare our hearts, Lord, the soil of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, that we would uh, receive your word. And even as we um, dig into some maybe difficult um, concepts, some difficult things that you have said, Lord, would you just uh, do your good work in us, Holy Spirit. Prepare us um, to love Jesus more, to love people more, to be people who walk in the light. So speak, have your way with your bride this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning we are wrapping up 
uh, one of the most significant conversations Jesus ever had. I mentioned last week that uh, we're not entirely sure if Jesus, uh, his conversation ended in verse 15 or if it ends in verse 21. I was just digging more into that this week, and it seems very, very likely that 16 through 21 is from the mouth of Jesus. Again, uh, it's all God's word. It's all breathed from the Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, there weren't quotation marks in the original Greek, and so it takes some discerning. Was, were these words uh, Jesus's or not? I'm going to treat them like they are Jesus's, like spoken by the man Jesus. Uh, either way, it's God's word. But just so you know, that's, that's how I, uh, I, I believe this text should be read. And so as Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, uh, remember again what's going on. It's the Passover week in Jerusalem. There were literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people would gather in Jerusalem. The end of chapter two tells us Jesus was performing miracles. Many people are believing in him. But it says at the end of chapter two, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He knew that these people had shallow faith, that they weren't born again, that faith didn't come from a new heart. And so one of these men, one of these Jews who had this shallow faith, that he comes to Jesus at night. His name is Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus and it says he is the teacher of Israel. He's a ruler. He's one of the Sanhedrin. He's like literally one of the most significant Jewish people at that time. And he had this sense, I need to talk to Jesus. I haven't figured this all out. I'm a teacher of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, but I just have a sense. I don't know what it is to really know God. And so he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not just about head knowledge. It's not just about being born a Jew. Your heart needs to be changed from this heart of stone to this heart of flesh. And this conversation is so significant. It covers all three members of the Trinity. Jesus speaks of the love of God, the Father, God, the Son, the active uh, like birthing work of the Holy Spirit. He speaks of eternity, of heaven and hell. He speaks of the marks of someone who has believed and someone who hasn't believed. Like there may not be a more significant conversation than this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, Jesus uh, sums up, he, he closes his conversation with that, with that great, he begins with the love of God in John three sixteen, And then he makes this alarming turn come verse 18. And what Jesus essentially says is this, Nicodemus, God loves you and he loves the world. He loves sinners. And that offer to come receive the love of God is for everyone that they would have eternal life. But what he says in verse 18 is there will be some who will reject the love of God. As amazing, as hard to grasp as that is, there are those who will reject God's love. And what Jesus says is for someone who has rejected the love of God, what remains for them is judgment. And as wonderful as it was for us last week and for my own soul to just marinate and think about the love of God, it is equally important that we hear Jesus's other words to us about the judgment of God. 
Uh, this, that is astounding. Um, honestly, it's not, uh, it was a lot harder to get excited to preach this sermon than it was last sermon. Um, but we are people who believe that God has given us his word and we want to hear all that God has to say, not just the easy things or the things that we already like. If all we ever did is believe God was like us, then it's not God we're worshiping, it's ourselves. He is in our image. And so what we do is we say, God, we open your word and would you speak to us? And so Jesus comes to difficult words about judgment. Now, um, I'm just going to jump into it with with just this brief uh, clarifier. John 3, 17, 18, 19 is just as much his word as John 3, 16. And they go together. We shouldn't like pit some verses against others. We even shouldn't even pit some aspects of God's character against other parts of his character. God is whole. He is holy. He is loving. He is merciful. He is mighty. All of these things come together and we see them in these verses. I just want to read one quote for us before we dig into uh, three truths about the judgment of God together. And, and here's just an encouragement for us as we di- dive into these verses from Kevin DeYoung. This is what he says to us. It is never good for our soul to stare hard into the word of God, see what it has to say, and decide to believe something different. This is not good for our soul. And I want us to just look closely at what Jesus has said and then adjust our beliefs and our hearts and our thoughts according to the heart of God, according to the words of Jesus. And so we're gonna have three points about the judgment of God. And the first point is this. Judgment is averted in Jesus. Now, I know that word averted is kind of like a rare word, but it's such a perfect word. I said, I'll just explain it because it's so good. What averted means is to turn away, to prevent, to ward off. Look, let's just read again, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The love of God came to save people from the judgment of God. That's explicit in our text. Uh, This week, A professional athlete, a well-known athlete who is a Christian was on a podcast discussing his Christian faith and he said this. He he was essentially summing up how he has come to believe that um, there is no judgment in God. And his remarks uh, represent many of our our culture, maybe even many of us in this church. Maybe these are things that we struggle and wrestle with. It's many of my dearest friends struggle with this question. And I I just want to read a brief uh, couple sentences. It really well captures the objection to the judgment of God. This is what he says. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? Now, you may have felt some of those feelings or thought some of those thoughts, but I want you to notice something. 
John 3.16 does not say God wants to judge the world. What does it say? It says God loves the world. You guys, it is not God who is unwilling to show mercy. It is humanity who is unwilling to receive it. God's judgment is not something that he does to people who are like, don't judge me, God, I want to trust you. God's judgment is for those who say, I don't want your love, God. That is how the Bible speaks of the judgment of God. Here, listen to the the heart of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Listen, and you were not willing. You, Jerusalem, it is not God who wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation. It is God's creation who refuses to accept the love of God. That is so significant whenever we wonder, what is God's heart like? Here, John 3, 16, 17, he loves the world. He came to save the world. He did not come to condemn the world. Now, what's fascinating um, in our cultural moment is that the justice of God is, is not in fashion, right? You, you, no, nobody wants to hear or talk about the justice, the judgment, the holiness of God. But did you know in Jesus' day, it was actually the opposite. The Jews in Jesus' day spoke much of the judgment of God. And, and they actually had this view that if you were Jewish, you were safe from God's judgment. And so they were very quick to speak of God's judgment to other nations because they just assumed we're not going to be judged by God. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. And so the, the Jews missed God's heart in all of this. Yeah, God just wants to judge the nations. He's going to save us. They missed God's love for the world. And look what God says through a prophet Amos in chapter five, verse 18 and 20. Look what God God is, he is confronting his people saying, hey, don't long for judgment. Look what he says in Amos. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? God is saying, don't long for judgment. Don't Jews assume that you're just safe from judgment and everyone else is gonna be judged. And so in Jesus' day, they misunderstood the heart of God. And so they missed the, 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 the ministry of Jesus. They assumed that the Messiah would come and just judge all the nations and kill all of God's enemies and would rescue his people. And what John 3.17 tells us is actually Jesus came on a rescue mission for those very enemies of God, the whole world. That is why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, the Jews missed that. But I want you to know this. In our day, we miss that there is not only a first coming of Jesus, there is a second coming of Jesus. And Jesus came the first time to save the world and the Bible is clear, he is coming a second time. This time on not a humble donkey, but on a white horse. And he is going to judge the world. And so the first coming of Jesus was a rescue mission. 
And while we wait for his second coming, we plead with people here and receive the love of God. And then Jesus will return and he will judge the world. And I, as startling as that is, um, I want to read for you, I, I skipped this verse, but in John chapter 5, verse 26 to 29, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus did speak of a second coming when he would, everyone would rise from the dead and they would be judged. And so this is something significant in the teaching and ministry of Jesus and in the teaching of all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But it's just so important that we start and start our study of the judgment of God knowing it is God's heart. And God's desire, the Bible speaks of, to rescue and save people from judgment. It's the first truth we need to know about the judgment of God. The second in our text is this. Judgment is just. Judgment is just. We see this in verses 18 and 19. We'll read that again. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because... He has not believed in the name of the, the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Okay, Jesus makes two points here. The, the Bible makes many, but Jesus makes two points of why the judgment of God is just. The first one we've essentially already covered, what he says in verse uh, 18 is judgment is just because God came to save you. And if you reject the saving love of God, then it is truly just for rather than Jesus to be punished for your sins, for you to be punished on your own. It's as if you were in the jungle and you fell into, uh, what, what is that called? Sinking sand. You know, we've always heard about this stuff called sinking sand and you're sinking and then someone runs along with the rope and says, oh my goodness, let me help you. And they throw your rope and you say, I don't need help. I don't want your help. It's like, judgment is like that. Well, okay, have your way. That is the first reason why we see in the scriptures that God's judgment is just. This, that concept happens because it is difficult for the human heart to acknowledge, I need saving. It's difficult for us to acknowledge that I need a savior to remove my sin from me. And so we all love to hear of the love of God that came to save us, but we don't want to hear that part of the gospel that says, whoever believes will not perish. And why do I need, why would I perish? Wait, because I'm a sinner and Jesus came to take my sin. And that is a real obstacle to why many people reject the gospel. And so judgment is just because they're re refusing salvation. The second reason Jesus points out that judgment is just is in verse 19. And it's essentially this. People refuse the gospel, it ends with these words, because their works were evil. Because their works were evil. Here Jesus makes it clear 
that we did not just fall into that pit by accident. We, we, we don't just walk, we don't just wander around in the darkness because no one turned on the light. What he's saying is we chose the darkness. We choose our sin and we refuse the light because we do evil things. You know, there are many objections to the judgment of God, but there is one truth that silences every objection and it's this, your works are evil. It's, it's who is this evil person to judge a holy God? It just, it does, it, who, who are we? We all know this to be true. There is not a person in this room who would stand up and say, I've never done an evil thing. And I have a better sense of judgment and justice than almighty God. That silences all of us. And not only that, we know in our guts that justice is good and right. We all want evil to be judged and done away with. We all would prefer a just, unbiased, righteous judge versus a crooked judge who will take bribes. What's difficult is when we realize that we've done evil things, that we actually have some blood on our hands, so to speak. And so we all want justice, but we, it's hard for us to really want that justice to affect us. But remember the glory of the gospel, that God, the only perfect holy judge himself, sent his own son to take the place of sinners, that if they would confess their need, judgment would go on Jesus and life would go on them. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that if we would trust, we would become the righteousness of God. We would be justified so that God's holiness and his love would meet on the cross. God's desire is to avert justice to his son. Jesus' desire, the second member of the Trinity is, I will lay my life down. I will pay their debt. And yet this offer is rejected because we have evil deeds. Because we, because people, because humanity doesn't want those evil deeds to be exposed. And so we see in the Bible that God's judgment is just. Now the third thing we see in, the, in these verses is this. Judgment works like light. That, that's in verses 20 and 21. Uh, let's read these verses again. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is kind of abstract metaphorical language here, but to sum it up, what Jesus is saying is this, your response to God's light reveals the state of your soul. Your response to the light of the gospel ex exposes, reveals the state of your soul. Whenever the Bible is read or, or uh, the gospel is preached or shared with someone over coffee, light is going out. And the Bible says this light, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, shines in some hearts and they, they receive that light and they're born again and others reject it and refuse that light. 
And so God's, this is important. It's not as if God's judgment is this, only this unfair external like punishment on people that they didn't ask for. What God's judgment is, is it's shining light on what's already there. It's exposing, is this person's heart evil and do they do evil deeds? Or is this person's heart full of faith and has been born again and is trusted in Jesus? God's judgment is like light exposing what is there. When it says evil works at the end of verse, uh, let me see here, verse 20, everyone who does wicked things, I just want to clarify for you, what that's not saying is someone who has ever done anything bad ever. That, that is in a, a present tense that communicates the idea of a habitual bad or, or uh, one who is perpetually doing what is evil. And contrast that to verse 21, where it says, whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen his works have been carried out in God. Verse 20 is exposing, is communicating, is explaining someone who has not been born again. And verse 21 is explaining or communicated, communicating someone who has been born again. And the difference is this, the fruit of their life is seen in their works. Someone who's not been born again is gonna perpetually be doing what is evil and hiding from light. And someone who's been born, I don't know if I think I said that wrong, someone who's not been born again, someone who has been born again, their works are carried out in God. That means that's, uh, it's like your life is hidden in God's life. Your works are done in God. It's not some salvation by works where you do good works and then you are forgiven. No, your works are done in God. It's like as you abide in Jesus, your works bear fruit. You have a new heart. Your works are being carried out in God and the day is going to come when we will all stand before God. Matthew 25 speaks of this and many different parables. And our works, our life will show what kind of heart we had. Do we have a heart that loves the light or do we have the kind of heart that runs and flees from the light? Our works will reveal who we are at our core, in our being, in our heart. And so we see in these verses, God's judgment is averted in Jesus. It's just and fair and it works like light. Now, I want to spend a little more time in the application. This is really, really significant. Um, the first thing, and this is, this is really what has burdened my heart all week long for us, is this. We need to let God, let God shape your thoughts about God's judgment. Let God shape your thoughts about God's judgment. There is no biblical teaching that's as assaulted as this one, that God is holy and just, and that his justice must be fulfilled. Um, from, from Satan's first lie in the garden until now, we have been told, uh, look, look, what, look what Satan said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That lie from the serpent is being told you guys like today in our area on pod, the most, some of the most popular podcasts, that lie is still here. And, and I want to just flesh a couple of these out as just the heart of a shepherd. I just want you guys 
please hear this. You're going to hear a few things. You're going to hear, you're going to hear this line of arguments. People will say things like, you know what? It's just not black and white. Heaven, it's not heaven and hell. It's not this dualistic thinking, this either or scenario. That's a very common uh, thought today. First of all, that's an either or statement. That's a, it's not that way. It's my way. So that's a self-defeating argument, first of all. But second of all, um, read the Bible. We just read of perish eternal life. It's juxtaposing eternal life in Jesus with perishing. This is not um, a Western modern idea of heaven and hell. You will also hear this type of objection. A loving and merciful God would never send someone to hell. You guys remember what we just read. It was God's love and mercy that rescues us from hell. And the same book that teaches us that tells us in a few verses later, but if you reject it, you are already condemned. Is it the word of God that is shaping your ideas? The third line of uh, argument goes like this. Well, that's just your interpretation of the verses. If, if you knew more about the culture of that time and the genre of that book, if you, if you really knew more, then, then the Bible would be clearer to you. That's just your interpretation. And I just want to humbly ask genuinely before God, please hear me say this. Search the scriptures. Read the Bible for yourself. Read Genesis, read the Gospels, read Revelation. And I even want to humbly say this. You don't need a 21st century person with, with a great degree or a great expert on the context to understand Scripture. It may be helpful at times, but often false teaching hides behind this expertise in the Bible. Look what Psalm 119.130 has to say. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. You guys, if you study God's word, you, no matter how simple you are, how simple your understanding is of these matters, there is enough here for you to understand what the Bible is saying. And if you read the Bible from Genesis to the Gospels to Revelation and everywhere in between, this is not a matter of interpretation. Jesus spoke about eternal life and eternal perishing more than any other teacher in the Bible. This is, this is as significant as it gets, heaven and hell for all eternity. Are you letting God shape your ideas about this? You guys, you can find shepherds today who will tell you this is not really true. You won't die. That's not what the Bible means. And I just want to humbly say, you guys, that's not a shepherd. That's a wolf. That is, that is the voice of our enemy. Be careful who you listen to and who you study. Be careful that you, you find shepherds who have proven to be faithful to all of God's word, even when it's difficult. We don't want a God in our own image. We want a God who says, follow me, trust me. Trust all of what I say. Jesus, I, Jesus is saying, I am a good shepherd. You can trust me. I may lead you through some still waters and a green pasture, and I may lead you through a valley of the shadow of death, but you can trust me. I am a faithful shepherd. Who else has laid down his life for you? What other teacher has offered you eternal life? None but Jesus, and you can trust him, and you can trust 
his word. Let God shape your thoughts. The second practical thing for us is this. We should not stay in the darkness. You know, one of the tragedies of my life is some of my dearest friends have wandered from God. um, And it didn't begin purely on an intellectual level. It began with sin. It began with a desire for sin. That's what John 3.19 is talking about. They stay, people stay in darkness. They refuse God's light because they want their evil works. And this is why it is so significant we confess our sin, that we don't keep things in the dark, that we stay connected to the body of Christ, to the church, to faithful teachers and shepherds who care about us are saying, come out of the darkness, come into the light. We need real relationships, people who love us enough to say, how are you really doing? How is your walk with Jesus? How is your marriage? How is your heart? Are there roots of bitterness? We need that to come out of the darkness and into the light. And Jesus tells us in verse 21, a mark of a Christian is they come to the light. They're not afraid of the light. And you know why we don't have to be afraid of the light? Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from every sin and unrighteousness. We have been clothed and covered with the love and mercy of God. We have been justified. The Bible says we can go to the presence of the Holy One with confidence because we have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so I just want to exhort you this morning come out of any darkness that you're in. Whatever is in the darkness, let it out. Bring it into the light. Let it be covered by the blood of Jesus. Confess it to a brother or sister that you may be healed, James says. And then the third practical thing for us is this. We are to share this light with others. We are to share. We are God's divine plan to get the light out. We have been commissioned as Jesus was sent. So now we are sent. For some of us, this may start with simply praying, God, give me more love for my neighbors and the nations and those who don't yet know Jesus. Give me love for them, Lord. Give me a genuine concern. And then, you know, a question that comes up is, okay, so you're, you're trying to share the gospel with someone. Um, do we need to talk about hell and judgment? Um, and, and I just want to ask you, who would be a great model for evangelism? I would say Jesus. And I would say that in this text, we see Jesus communicating honest truths that God loves the world. And that though the world is evil and has sinned, God still loves them and sent his son. But if you reject God's love, there remains judgment for you. I think that's a reliable model that we can rely on. Uh, And in fact, you know, in our day and age, it's the worst thing you can do is to step on someone's toes or, you know, maybe confront their perspectives. But that, that, Jesus really said these things. And uh, I was reading just a biography of a a pastor, his name's Archibald Brown this week. And uh, he he was the successor of Charles Spurgeon. Look, I want want to close us with these words that he has to share with us. Hear this encouragement. It is when a man loves another intensely that he will dare even to offend him. We must not mind the feelings of a friend receiving somewhat of a shock. It will do them no harm and far better to be awakened from a pleasing dream now than by the icy hand of death when it is too late. 
he will never win many souls who keeps in the background all that is calculated to alarm them. The first step towards being saved is when the sinner feels himself lost. And it is when he feels himself within a step of hell that he is just putting his foot on the road to heaven. The beauties of the Savior will only be seen when that which he saves from has been in some measure understood by the soul. The sinner's danger must be shown him. God loves us. He loves the world. The world has ran to darkness, ran to our own evil deeds, and yet Jesus came for people like you and me and nations. Would we love people enough to tell them? Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us. And we know, Lord, where would we be if you had not come for us? Where would we be if someone had not told us of your love? Lord, this morning, I first just want to plead with you. If there is someone in here who has yet to come out of darkness and into the light to receive the mercy of God, Holy Spirit, would you blow and would you save them? Would your light shine in their hearts, in their minds, that they would see the beauty of Jesus? They would confess their sin and trust in him. Would you save this morning? Lord, I pray for others of us who may have uh, been hiding something in the dark, be in our emotions or our thoughts. Lord, even, even just unbelief. Lord, you, um, would you call us out of darkness this morning? Would you call us out of the dark? Like Adam and Eve just hiding in their own fig leaves from you, the most merciful being in the universe. Would you come after us? Would you call our name? Would you clothe us with new robes of righteousness? Remove these just pitiful fig leaves that we try to cover ourselves with. I thank you that you sent Jesus and you offer real righteousness and forgiveness to any of us if we would come out of the darkness. And Lord, this morning, I just pray for all of us that we would, we would not fear, but we would come to the, the Holy One, the Righteous One, King of kings. And we would come as pardoned sinners. We would come as adopted sons and daughters. We would come with boldness to the very presence of God because of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are holy and that you are just. Thank you, God, that you are also merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This morning, we come to worship the the true, real, living God. We're not here for some golden calf, but the real God. So would you bless us, your people, Lord? Refresh us, encourage us, save us, and send us out with the gospel on our lips.